Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands. Today I'm in Gaithersburg, Maryland at Clear Skies Meadery. Um, I'm going to let all of you introduce yourselves because I did not get your two last names. Uh, so we'll start with you, Yancey. Um, introduce yourself and let us know what you do here. All right. I am Yancey Bodenstein, and I am the, the mead maker and uh, one of the co-owners of Clear Skies Meadery. I'm Jacob Latour. I'm the assistant mead maker, and I joined on right before you. You were the first hire. <laughs> I'm Manisha Eigner. I don't make mead, but <laughs> I do everything else besides making mead. And I am also a, a co-owner of Clear Skies Meadery. Which, I mean, often, at least in a brewery, so I'm assuming it's the same for meadery, that often can be the most important part of the operation, is that everything else. Like, you can make the best product in the world, if that everything else is not done well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, she keeps us in compliance, yeah. basically. Yes. <laughs> Keeps everyone out of jail and from being fined. Yeah, we don't yes. look good in orange. <laughs> All right, uh, thank you guys so much for having me down today. Um, let's start with just how did Clear Skies come to be? And how long have you been open? We opened in March of 2020. Good timing. And then, yeah, we put it in our <laughs> business plan to open up in a pandemic that was, yeah. Um, in one of the counties that had the, oh the strictest... Uh, the most restrictions ever. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we're still here. Luckily, alcohol is an essential business. Um, that is one really good thing. Because I've had... I think it was Tarboro that I had on in North Carolina. Which you'd think, like, such a hub of craft beer. But was re- like didn't classify alcohol as essential. So breweries were not able to operate nearly as, or breweries, wineries, distillers, and meteries weren't able to operate nearly as well as uh, ones in Maryland were. So at least we have that going for us here. Well, we have to thank Governor Hogan for keeping Mm -hmm. craft beer in Maryland alive. Yep. So let's see here. Where did this all start? Um, For me, I... Started homebrewing about 19 or so years ago, and uh, we went to the, my wife and I went to the Maryland Renaissance Festival, and uh, we tried the mead that was available there, and we really didn't like it. And I was going to say, because I remember, I think the only times before I started talking to real mead makers, <laughs> the only time I had ever had mead was at Renaissance Festival, so in my mind, mead was a garbage drink that I never wanted to touch. So now that you said that, then, then yeah, um, the, the mead that we tasted, it was, it was just horrible. It was cloyingly sweet. And um, my wife, she said, you know, you can, you're a home brewer. You can totally do better than this. And I was like, all right, I pick up that gauntlet. Challenge accepted. And um, so over that course of 17 or so years, um, given I'm a chemist by training, I was trying to control as many variables as possible. And then... But about five years ago or so, family and friends started to say, all right, this is getting to the point where you need to actually take this commercial. 
And I said, cool. So who's going to fund me? And <laughs> that, so, that, that always turns out to be the big problem in that. Exactly. And so that's where um, Manisha comes in. And it was a Christmas 2018, probably a mead-fueled discussion. <laughs> and we said, all right, we either need to fish or cut bait on this idea. And so the company was incorporated on, in February of 2019, signed the lease in this place here in April of 2019, completely demoed, rebuilt, um, got all federal, state, local permits done, and we pitched our first batch on January 4th of 2020. So less than a year in Montgomery County, we were able to get fully approved to produce alcohol. That is an amazing turnaround. I don't, yeah. I don't think I've ever had a guest go from inception to opening that quickly before. Yeah, we, we were rather shocked, and, and now we're rather irritated at the production facility um, rate that that's going because we were like, come on, this didn't take so long with the other place. Why is this other one taking so long? Well, so. It, wa- it was a big difference. There is a big difference in the production space versus this space. Currently, we only have eight one-barrel conicals here and six one-barrel bright tanks. The production space is going to have approximately six 10-barrel tanks, uh, 10-barrel conicals, and three, oh, right now, two 30-barrel conicals, and also the production space is 8,000 square feet, all of this space is 2,000 square feet. <laughs> yeah, and so when you look around um, in the, the, the tap area here in the, the Kentlands, um, it's what you see is about 1,000 square feet. And we have the same amount of space in the basement. Um, half of that is the cold room and storage for you know the, the restaurant portion that we have up here. So we're, Jacob and I are basically fermenting at about 500 square feet downstairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, had you always planned on opening the expanding to a production facility so quickly or was that, is that based off of necessity, necessity, Uh, a pandemic level response. When we opened four days prior to the pandemic, we only had a tap room license. We did not have a delivery permit. We did not have a growler refill permit. We were only supposed to be a tap room which serves mead. And uh, of course, we were shut down four days later. People wanted to buy our product and we had to make sure we could deliver it to people. And we were scrambling. Um, As everybody knows, the whole past year, Things have changed so much, and online retail segments have grown to almost 95% of the people now do their shopping online. There's a very small segment of population which good luck. actually goes anywhere. It's just good luck getting any of it delivered to you. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, and, I'll save uh, that rant That's when another. Nancy and I started thinking about that, you know, this is not going to be just feasible for us to have these one-barrel conicals because we are not able to can here. We are not able to bottle here. Our loyal customer base has kept us floating through the pandemic and we were highly appreciative of them but to even do small scale distribution you need a minimal 4,000 liters to do one single line of canning 
we can't produce that. That's when we decided that we really have to push through and just go from phase one to phase two very quickly, not wait for an extended period of time. As everybody knows, restaurant sales have not been the best in the past year. And we are a class A restaurant which happens to serve mead. So <laughs> it, it's amazing, though, um, and it, it wasn't this case in a lot of other states, um, exactly for the reasons we I just mentioned, that in Maryland, though, because of the delivery and all the ways that um, our legislature allowed alcohol to be disseminated, there are a lot of places in the last year that did that same thing like as a response uh, like some as a necessity just in some as it being an opportunity expanding into whole new production facilities and greatly expanding their reach because people really wanted to drink over the last year or so <laughs> well if you if you think about it i mean maryland's and especially montgomery county um, do not have the the best reputation when it comes to alcohol a lot of puritanical stuff in Montgomery County. Well, I mean, it's almost adversarial. At least it was definitely five years ago adversarial. Oh, yeah. And then in Montgomery County, with the the way that the alcohol laws are are written with a monopoly with the the county, um, just the things that the the county council and also the state did for the craft brewing industry um, has been awesome and very much appreciative of it. I mean, we, we went... Pretty much from a taproom only environment to to trying to figure out where our growlers are going to come from and thankfully more beer had a whole bunch of them and so our growlers if you look at them they look like homebrew um, bottles for some unknown reason <laughs> um, but that's really the only place that we could find them because we don't have the space to have an actually bottle line um, or a canning line i mean we're we're hand canning everything right now and that's on the slate for later yeah. today something we're not waiting for <laughs> yeah so is it so right now you sell as a mixture of growlers cans that you're doing yourself and which are known as growlers okay. <laughs> yep. yep so yeah everything that, that we do here um is all packaged um on site for sale on site um or if somebody places an order for a delivery will deliver to them. Um, and this was something that we checked early on with the TTB at the federal level is what are their labeling requirements for crowlers and growlers? And uh, the guidance that we received was as long as you're um, authentic in what's in the container, um, it doesn't matter because it's not something that is distributed. Okay. So that's luckily, I mean, that that saved our, our hide for that that little bit where uh where are is your production facility going to be it's going to be on 15201 display coat rockville also as most people know it goody drive okay so over by saints row and true uh, respite respite Uh, hoping to turn it into a lovely beer wine Mm. drive yep (laughs) so the um Right in here, though, I mean, this is probably an amazing spot to be in because you're right in the middle of a bunch of other shops surrounded by uh, higher-end housing. 
Yep. So you're <laughs> yeah, the, you're, you're right. This um, when we decided we were actually going to do this, we we started to look around at, at available places, and initially we were looking at um, you know some was it warehousing space and and so forth, and then all of a sudden I saw that the the prior tenants from this space were were vacating, and I said, hey, let's go there. It's great foot traffic, and that is the one thing you know, as I'm looking out the window, um, that is very, very conducive for this place. And when we do have live music, we typically have that set up outside and the, the large grassy area is great. There were, when we had our first one in, was it May? Um, there were people putting out their blankets out there, just having a blast listening to live music, probably the first time in 18 months. That's awesome. Cool. Wait, let's take um, a real quick uh, sponsor break. And then, Misha, I want to hear about how you decided to get into Mead. Uh, okay. So we'll be right back. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts. Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, Misha, why did you decide that you wanted to go in on a meadery? Well, uh, I started drinking Yancey's meat since he started brewing it. Uh, initially, it tasted, I think, as good as Renaissance Fest meat or <laughs> as bad. Oh, hey. <laughs> wow. uh, but that hurts. he really refined. His techniques really, really refined itself over a period of years. And as Yancy mentioned, it went from just being mead, which I felt I'm drinking some sweet wines to this amazing cherry mead, which is like drinking a lovely rosé with hints of almond. And that's when I said, Yancy, you have to sell this. And my husband and I said, you know, we are always happy to be your silent partners. But um, the reality of this, any business is you have to have a lot of commitment and dedication and finances. So we decided, I decided, you know, I'm going to team up with him and push it through. Uh, I come from a science background. I've worked in biotech all my life, but I also, my dad's a businessman. I watched him grow a business from a little... 10 by 10 square foot area to two factories in India. 
And uh, I thought, you know, let's just start if small. If I can do it, I can I, do it. If he can do it, I can do it too. <laughs> and uh, I told Yancy, let's split it 50-50. You go do the meet. I'll take care of business operations. Um, I've worked in private sector all my life. I've worked in compliance. I think I can handle all the permitting processes. And so that's what we do. He makes the mean. I figure out how to sell it and make sure. <laughs> and you keep me out of jail. <laughs> and make sure we are in compliance with all local and state and federal authorities. So the important stuff. The important the, stuff. The very important stuff, yeah. <laughs> So, Yancy, what made you decide from home brewing to focusing on mead? Was it just that you wanted to No, this one I'm going to totally hang on my, my wife's shoulders. Okay. <laughs> um, because when I first started home brewing, um, we were expecting our first child. And she walked, watched me walk in the door with a four-pack of 90 minute. And she was like, that, that is not going to be sustainable. Um, so you either need to figure out what other cheaper beers you want or something else. And it's like, well, you know, once you take the capital investment out, then home brewing is actually cheaper. And so she said, all right, go ahead and give that a go. And so then, then after I started adding meat into that, she said, all right, fine. You can, you can brew all the beer you want as long as there's meat on tap. And so I was always refining my process to what she liked. And um, it was interesting, her tastes have changed over time because initially she really liked the more sweeter ends. And then I kept on telling her, I was like, wait a minute, your feedback is like six months too late because I started this six months ago. I can't <laughs> really, we got to drink through all this. You need to first. think ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, over time, her palate started to change and, and appreciate the more the drier side of, of mead. And so that's where where things started going. And I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, beer, it's basically an all day brew session. And then you just step away and, and let it ferment. And once it's done fermenting, throw it in a keg for about a, about a week and you're good to go. Meat on the other hand, takes about, you know, on a homebrew scale, about 30, 45 minutes to make it up. And then you gotta wait and wait. <laughs> <laughs> and wait and then so you have to be committed to it uh, for a long period of time plus I also really like the idea of you know this is something that's been going on for millennia um, I mean there recent uh, archaeological evidence of what 7000 BCE and there is evidence of fermented honey in, in clay pots and then I think they also found another one that's 9000 BCE so, I mean, really early on, humans have been, you know, diving into a beehive. Seems like a great idea to do that. <laughs> um, and then grab the honey and then, then ferment it. So, um, so I heard um, that some of your early mead was really bad. Um, I have no how idea was, what you're talking about. <laughs> how, how was that first batch of mead you made? Was it drinkable or... There, there was only one batch of mead that I've tossed, and and that was a, a failed experiment to do a like an oat chocolate um, mead, and I didn't use the right kind of chocolate, and yeah, unfortunately, that one had to go down the drain, 
Um, but early on, because I had no idea what yeast strain I wanted to use or what original gravity I wanted to start out at or anything along those lines, it, it really was a, you know, a folding card table in the, in the storage room with one gallon jugs all over the place and just taking notes and, and just trial by fire and just figuring it out. That's got to be um, a lot harder for that trial and error, though, with that long waiting period of when the finished product is actually... You are correct. And I um, also need to, to shout out a lot of the, the information available at gotme.com um, was incredibly helpful um, because there, there were people there that were you know, well on into decades of making mead providing input for people who just logged in. It's like, hey, I want to make a batch of this. How do I do this? And through some of that assistance and then really just the, the experimentation process, it's like, hey, this tastes pretty good. Let me check on the notes and see what I did and try and do it again. Um, and that's kind of carried forward here. It's like, all right, which ones, what works, what hasn't worked? How do we change the process? Uh, what do we keep the same? moving forward and luckily you know jacob is great at taking all those notes and and helping me out with this entire process is the um mead world very collaborative like so in in brewing if other breweries help other breweries out a lot is that is there that same camaraderie in mead making or is it more competitive well i would say that um I mean, we are the only meadery in Montgomery County right now. Yeah, I mean, that probably makes it harder, too, is that the yeah, real, exactly. there's, not a, there's not a lot of them where you could like just go to a neighbor's exactly. <laughs> meadery um, to ask for help. And when we started, we were the fourth in the state. And so there were Charm Cities, there was uh, Maryland Meadworks and Orchard Tellers. And those were the other, other three when we started. I think there's one, one more now, maybe another one uh, in the process. Um, so realistically, the... Camaraderie is all online through the American Mead Maker Association. Um, there you can find a whole bunch of connections there. And also when we do farmer's markets and like Kentlands Under the Lights, um, we have distilleries walking up to us. We have um, breweries walking up to us say, hey, you know, once you get in that production facility, uh, reach out to us. Let's collaborate on something. Let's, let's, uh, let's make this some, something special. So, yeah, that does happen. What are you licensed as? Is that a winery or a brewery? And because that did that change recently for so at, meaderies, or was the, that just cider makers? No, at the cider. federal level, we are considered a winery. At the state level, we're considered a brewery. Okay. Who can make mead? Um, because the um, this is through was it the Brewers Association of Maryland really advocated the legislature to combine beer and mead and take mead out of the wineries um, primarily because in order to be classified as a winery at the state level you have to have real estate to grow product on and as you can see looking around here we have no real estate so we can't grow anything so in order for us to be a viable um, entity and that law kicked in right when we were in the middle of renovation here and so we were able to take advantage of that of that law so the production facility is actually being built with the idea to eventually have a brew house in there okay and then also a meadery 
I've been told to that. I think this was by a cidery though, that they actually preferred to be lumped in with beer. Like when it comes to festivals and things, because craft beer drinkers are more appreciative of mead because they get a craft beer festival. It's a lot more about learning and getting to know things, but at wine festivals, it's much more about getting drunk and that's the, yeah, Jacob's got a so, experience with that. I would, I would definitely agree for that. So the first festival we ever went to once COVID kind of opened back up was up in, where was that? Westminster. Westminster. Tenny Town. Yeah. And it was just about people getting drunk. <laughs> I, I haven't seen so many people throw up since I was in college. <laughs> it, it was just everybody going to each winery, getting as many drinks as they possibly could for free and then just consuming it all while for most of the beer festivals we've been to it's been really supportive and appreciative of of what we're making just a learning experience for the the people that are coming up to us because most people have never had me before so when uh nor it's beer drinkers that are coming up they're super invested in trying to learn what this product is yeah and that that's a I'm glad I wasn't lied to then because uh, that's exactly what they had said that like at at uh, at wine festivals no one cared they just came up and just drank 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 but whenever they would attend beer festivals people were constantly asking questions and wanted to actually learn about the product not just drink it as quickly as possible to go to the next place to drink as quickly as possible well the the one thing that that you also need to remember is that um you know, mead, at least ours, is about 13% alcohol. And wines are typically 12 to 14. Um, most beers are going to be, you know, four, six, eight. You know, if you're going up into the double digits, then then that's going to be a, you know, a one and done sort of thing. Whereas with um, the clientele that, that come in to beer festivals, I would imagine that they would almost get full before they get Schnocker. Yeah. Whereas with wineries and, and wine festivals, um, yeah, two two drinks and, and you're pretty much tapping out. And after three or four, you've consumed at least a full 750 mil bottle of wine. Um, so, and that's something that we, we try and remind people is that, um, you know, our product is 13%. And that's also why we have two session meads. Um, so we have something that's around 7%. From a beer standpoint, that's a pretty high alcohol yeah. beer. From a meat standpoint, yeah, it's almost like water. Yeah, it's kind of funny ref- referring to something that 7% is sessionable. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, I think also craft beer drinkers know the existence of mead versus people who have always been drinking just wine. Uh, still question come in here and ask us what is mead does it taste like wine or does it taste like beer and now we like to tell them mead tastes like mead because we have there are so many nuances in mead which you may not find in a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon because everything comes from honey and the base characteristics of honey will always predominate the drink and they they will always be there and it can make 
a drink very memorable just by sniffing it. And those notes will carry through while you're drinking. So sometimes you will base your judgment of what you're drinking just based on the smell of your cup, of your tulip glass. And similar to wine, when you sniff it, you base your palate. Honey is similar. So we think it's, of course, needs its own little category. And we're hoping someday it will have its own category and not be lumped with either beer or wine. I feel like mead keeps coming close to completely taking off, but then like plateau, but then have a resurgence again, plateau a little bit. And then like it never seems to die off at all, but it's just like it's not the constant uh, wave that craft beer has ridden. Like it seems that like more of like a steps instead of a straight trajectory. Well, I think in the in the past, and and I'm looking at the the board that we have with all of our seasonal flavors. Um, I think that whenever people hear that something is fermented honey, they automatically assume it's going to be sweet, and to some aspects, um, they're going to be thinking of a cloyingly sweet beverage. So then when they see it, it's like, um, I'm going to choose to pick up this other bottle of something else, either beer or, or hard cider or, or a wine instead of that mead. And so that's something that we really try to do here is to stay away from cloyingly sweet meads. And, you know, again, looking at the, the seasonal board, the top three that we have is the dry, the semi-sweet, and the sweet. And those three are the, really the only ones that you can have a crosswalk with a wine. So that when somebody does come in, beer drinker or wine drinker, if they say, I have no idea what to expect, then one of the first questions out of my mouth is, what wine do you like? And from there, I try and mentally adjust their palate with different descriptions of the meads that we have so that they have a better understanding of what it's going to taste like. Um, for example, one of the winter flavors that we have is, is going to be a black currant. That's one of the main descriptors in red wines. And the plum that we currently have is also a main descriptor of some red wines. Um, and, you know, the, the dry hopped one that, that we have, that one we jokingly refer to as our, our gateway drug for beer drinkers. It's ridiculously good. Thank you. Like really, really good. <laughs> and, and we have a lot of fun making that one too. The aroma is amazing on that mead. And so that one is uh, dry hopped with uh, Citra, Cascade, Simcoe, and Yukonot hops. In the keg. How far into the fermentation process do you do the dry hopping? Is it right before packaging, early on? or It's um, basically the keg is about a week out from getting put on. And that's when we dry hop it. Okay. So directly into the keg. We have a whole bunch of uh, torpedo kegs downstairs that are ball lock fittings. So we, we can crack open the top and, and uh, adjust things as necessary. It's so good. The aroma is amazing. Uh, don't, Jacob, don't we also make sure that our dry hop kegs are smaller scale so that our hops have the more refreshing taste? Well, part of the reason why we add it right before it goes on is so that it has a, a fresher taste. So instead of doing it in secondary, like you normally would, we do it only right before that. That way all the, the flavors are still there just because hops deteriorate yeah, over time. Yeah, 
in the aromatics especially yeah let's uh let's take one more quick sponsor break and then let's find out from you jacob what made you get into mead i buy my beer at district east in downtown frederick maryland they have an amazing selection of local and hard to find beers and i love the option of making my own mix and match custom six-pack District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. All right, Jacob, what made you want to become a mead maker? And I feel like you get really ripped off. That's not a cool name. There need, is there a cooler term for someone that makes mead, or is it just mead maker? Well, I mean, you know, the, the grand wizard, babusa, you know, that sort of thing. is Yeah, probably not really. It's too much on the mouth there. <laughs> <laughs> I do normally like to say brewer, just because. Yeah, easier to crosswalk there. People usually know what that means. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for, for me, I had actually been homebrewing for about 19 years, similar to, to Yancey. And when most people hear me say that, looking at, at me. He's a whippersnapper. <laughs> <laughs> they usually are like, you must have started when you're five. I, I was just going to say five. <laughs> <laughs> and because is. I am one of those people that's had that thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my... My dad, when he was in graduate school, started homebrewing a ton. So during the, the weekends, that was one of the big things we would do. And I would homebrew with them starting when I was five and have about a thimble of beer just to, to see what our product tasted like. And uh, um, I'm, I'm also from a, a science background. So when I went to school for environmental science, I took a, a ton of home uh, brewing classes, winemaking, wine chemistry, all different types of subjects relating to fermentation. And so this facility actually used to be Pritchard Music Academy, which is an academy I went to, uh, to when I was, I was younger. And the owner of that actually told me right before this was opening up that a meter is going to be coming in right in this area. And so as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh my God, I got to apply to that. I've been doing environmental consulting before, and so I talked to message Nancy and Manish on, on Facebook before they even um, 
doing any Java applications and I ended up getting a, a meeting with them and just explaining how I love beer, love brewing. Well, he also brought some homebrew, so you know, <laughs> talking about bribing the, uh, the, the hiring, let me tell you, it worked. Yeah, I, I just love the entire process because like Yancey says a ton, it's, it's like doing chemistry except you get to drink your experiments. Yep. <laughs> and also when the customers say this was really good, I'm sure Jacob and Yancey have a little burst going off in their chests. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things that um, uh, when I was working uh, full-time at NIH, um, before I left um, at the end of March of this year, uh, Jacob and I would be brewing the batches on the weekends. And then he would do all the fermentation management while I was doing my nine-to-five job. And so really the the... the the kudos for how good things taste really are on his shoulders uh, for what he is he has done during the uh, during that time while we're here. So, um, but yeah, it's it it does get to the point where you know we might need to grease our ears to be able to you know get out of the door with the ego that <laughs> we're here. The customers here have really uh, responded very well to our product. Uh, we were just this was supposed to be a test phase for a few years and uh, currently we are almost burning through our entire product what we make and there is no way with or without a pandemic we can sustain ourselves with our eight one barrel conicals (laughs) the reason why we're limited to the the size of, of one barrel is that is what fits down the stairwell (laughs) <laughs> so to, to go into the basement um, and so yeah that that really is the silver lining for COVID is that we had what now 20 months of a soft opening and so we've really been able to fine-tune a lot of the processes in the front of the house as well as the back of the house um, in terms of the point-of-sale system um, our processes for you know, managing fermentation, how do we deal with, with different aspects of making the mead. And then now, you know, we're, we really are going through all the stuff that, that we actually ferment. So um, had we actually been open uh, without restrictions, you'd see a whole bunch of empty taps, which is not a good thing. No, that, yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where, like it sounds like it's a good problem to have, but it turns out it's really not a good problem to have to not have anything well, to sell to people. Yeah, especially with me being, you know, you know, four to six months out before you can put it on tap, that you're going to lose customer base um, simply because there are people come in once or twice and say, "Oh, you don't have anything." Okay, and there you go. Whereas beer, at least you know, after you know a month or so you have another product that you can sell. Yeah, I wanted to highlight on the fact that it takes a lot, much longer time to brew meat, just like it takes to brew wine. Uh, it's not a quick process like beer, where you brew a week, and in two weeks you can put it on yeah. tap. Uh, we have some of our older meads, which have been aged for a year, and you can definitely tell the difference in taste and the finish of those meats versus just churning out a quick product. 
Also, mead, if you let it sit longer, the the better it's going to taste. The flavor profiles oh, okay. are mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, this is something that, you know, when, when Manisha, from the business standpoint, says, all right, when are we having stuff on tap? When are we, you know, getting all these things? I said, you know, if I had that wonderful ingredient called time, um, <laughs> that also happens to be the most expensive ingredient. Because realistically, I, I would like to have all of our meads age a year before we put them on tap. Uh, we just don't have that luxury. And um, it, the, the longer they sit, a lot of the, the flavors start to play better together. Um, and it's a, a mellower beverage. Um, you almost, some of the ones that I have at home that are 10 years old, it's almost like a, like a brandy or a port sort of characteristics that you start to get with that. And I mean, when we, we get things going at the, at the production facility, I want to do a road trip to Kentucky and get some freshly emptied bourbon barrels and fill those up with mead and just let them sit and sit <laughs> and sit. Um, so that after, you know, say for example, we have five or 10 barrels and, and start up a barrel club. And then each year, members of that club get what was bottled from that keg. So after a 10 year period, you now have a 10 year mead that's been sitting in the bourbon barrel. Mead doesn't have an expiration date technically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because a lot, I mean, there are some meads that are much better fresh. Like the meadarita flavor, just like a margarita in the summer, because it has fresh lime zest and lime juice in it, it's better sooner rather than older. The chipotle and the mango habanero that we just took off from the summer, those ones, the, the, the flavors of the, the peppers themselves, over time tend to drop off. You still have the capsaicin in there, so you still have the heat, but the flavors of the pepper start to drop off. Then there are other meads that age really well. The black currant, the cranberry. Um, cherry. Yep, the cherry one, especially with, with fresh Montmorency cherries um, that we pick from, from Homestead Farms in Poolsville. Um, that one, those really age well. And the traditional ones, the ones with, uh, that we have with oak and vanilla, um, definitely age well. So that's something that when we get to the canning line, and putting things in cans, we're going to target the ones that have a longer shelf life in terms of the flavor profile of what we're going for. Whereas the ones that, you know, we want people to drink fresh, we'll have here on tap and people can take in growlers. So you would refer to the dry one as a base, your base dry. Yep. Is that because the, all of the flavored ones are built off of that? Or so is we, there differences... Yeah, beyond just the flavoring for the yes um so our traditional meads the the dry semi-sweet and sweet or with orange blossom honey primarily because the flavor components in that honey are very unique and once you add some flavors to it like the chipotle for example you're going to start masking the flavors of the honey um so for any of the ones that we do with additions in secondary uh we typically use wildflower honey um, because that's a, a generic, it's also a little cheaper. Um, but then the flavors from the wildflower aren't really competing with the flavors that we put in, um, like the, like the cranberry or the passion fruit, um, or, you know, the ginger even. Um, plus 
all three of us are foodies. So when it comes to creating formulas and um, trying to get the, fe- the best flavor profile, um, we go back to, well, what does the food taste like? Uh, for example, the apple pie. What spices are in an apple pie? Let's put those in the meat. Let's try and replicate that. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's where we go from there. So it, I, I just had this thought pop in my head where, <clears throat> like, the way you described everything, like, as being foodies, everything seems so refined and, like, elevated kind of, whereas I was just at Idiom canning a beer that we made together based off of Fruity Pebble marshmallow bars. <laughs> so it's yeah. a little bit on the other end of the spectrum. Well, we have a very refined meat called cardamom meat, which is very popular right now, and it does taste amazing with lots and lots of food. And the other one that uh, will be coming out this weekend too that they're canning right now is uh, strawberry pretzel salad. <laughs> <laughs> strawberry pretzel. Well, it's a, if if you ever had strawberry pretzel salad, I think it must be like much more. I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, and that's a very staple thing for like summer picnics, where it's strawberries, strawberry Jello, cream cheese, and a whole bunch of butter melted over top of crushed pretzels to make a crust. Okay, so the pretzels. Oh, are like, oh. so they add the saltiness. Yeah. Add the that crunch to the Jello. Good. Yeah. Ooh. Is really really good. That does sound pretty good. The beer is also really, really good. It's an interesting combination of salt flavors and sweet. Yeah. But strawberry by itself is not very sweet. So no. So the this is the the beer is a fruited sour. So the that that little bit of sourness of the strawberry comes in well with that. But then like the cream cheese and everything kind of cuts in the sweetness of that. Mm-hmm. Plus with vanilla, we added a ton of vanilla to it. Um, and then some uh, pretzel. I think it will be a good combination. Oh, it's really, really good. Definitely <laughs> have to give it a try. Yeah, absolutely. Although the um, the Fruity Pebble Marshmallow Bar one is r- ridiculously good. It almost seems like drinking a glass of dessert. Oh, it's 100% drinking a glass of dessert. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Way less refined than uh, mead. <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that. that oh, you don't is, have to be nice. Is, is totally refined because I mean the the session meads that we have. Um, I also refer to those as lawnmower meads, you know, because um, there are some meads out there that are just really, really thin in the body, and so that that's a whole concept behind the Enigma series is trying to generate and build a full-bodied session mead. And so that's why we're going with the different yeast strains to start out with that. I I really love the aroma of that. The which one the was Valkyrie's the one? Yeah, the, it's it has a really nice nose on it. And that might be because of the American oak in it or the Fike yeast. And we did actually ferment that one at ninety. So um, the rest of the ones um, we do not ferment it at ninety because those are that's predominantly a wine yeast that we use for the rest of the meats. But yeah, that this is for seven percent a very nice sipping drink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, on a hot summer day after you're done mowing the lawn, yeah. you could totally crush a sixteen ounce of that easily. 
and, mm-hmm. and then maybe not get back up. Well, <laughs> you can also just create a session by adding some seltzer water to any of our meads, which have 13%, and they still taste pretty incredible. Well, and the fun thing during the summer, uh, we also utilize some of our meads as bases for the slushies that we have. And see, now you're climbing into the gutter with our us beer drinkers. Yes. <laughs> no, no. Slushies are popular. Oh, man. When we shut down the slushy machine on September, the following week, we just have these looks from customers. Slushies are gone. And we have to nod a very somber yes. And then they glare at us. And they will come back when? And when you say next summer, they glower even more. (laughs) Uh, Both the the Fruity Pebble beer and the strawberry uh, jello salad beers will be available on Saturday as slushies. (laughs) 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 FYI. But yeah, we, Would you like to borrow a slushy machine? <laughs> uh, they they bought one for this occasion. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that that one was. Um, my wife and I were were down in the the Shenandoah area doing uh, field research, um, <laughs> going to different wineries around there, and we went to this one that was um, off almost like a four by track uh, to get to, and we were the only ones there. And um, as we were getting ready to walk out, um, the the winemaker she said, "Hey, do you want to do you want to try some wine slushies?" I was like, "What?" And, yes. And like, sure. <laughs> and as soon as I saw those things come out and tasted them, it's like, I think I sent Manisha a text later that day. It's like we're doing meat slushies. We have to do meat slushies. And uh, yeah, ever since then, the the first summer that we were open, we we put those on, and. They were on again this past summer. I think you would sell them all year round. It, so that machine is the bane of our existence. Uh, the clean uh, and set up. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. However, it's not the staff's favorite equipment to clean. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yep. yeah, everybody goes in a circle and cheers once it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And everybody waits. Who is going to clean that thing? They yeah, all that, do every other task besides cleaning that machine. Yeah, and then the last person like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so where did the name Clear Skies Meadery come from? So that is um, actually something uh, from my house. Um, so my oldest daughter's middle name is Claire. And my youngest daughter's middle name is Sky. Um, so we just... That's something I always refer to my, my homebrew shed as, hey, this is Clear Skies Tavern. And so it just started to, to go say, yeah, Clear Skies Mead. Carried it on that way. Easy enough? Mm-hmm. Yep. Is mead popular in India, Anisha? Uh, no. There is actually just one meadery in all of uh, India. It's known as Moonshine Meadery, Meadworks. And uh, they are being assisted by a meadery in the United States located in Pennsylvania. Uh, And um, it's definitely not popular, but it is an ancient Indian beverage too, has been drunk for centuries in India because honey is used in a lot of religious um, festivals in India on a very regular basis. 
Yeah, so you you would almost think that that would, that would help to its popularity, but it's just not a uh, drink that. Well, thanks to the British Raj, uh, the uh, most popular. British mess up everything. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it. <laughs> uh, thanks to the British Raj, yeah, the most popular beverage in India is whiskey and Indian IPAs, Indian pale ales. Those are the most popular beverages in India. Uh, a lot of wineries are just starting to come about in India and Moonshine Meadworks opened five, four years ago and they are starting to spread the word of mead around. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, some of the, the texts that we have hanging up on our wall, um, the word mead has been found in Norse sagas, Celtic legends, and the ancient texts from India as well. It, it's the original fermented beverage, right? It's, it's uh, the oldest one because yeah. you don't need agriculture for it. You just need some brave soul to crack into a beehive. <laughs> I think there are uh, images on the web of uh, mead being brewed in raw hides with just people carrying them on their backpack, on their horsebacks. Oh, wow. I think it, it, it may have started out something similar something to that. Something similar of, to that. Like it some, just happened accidentally. Exactly. And, yeah. Somebody was, was riding across the steps on, on horseback or walking or something like that and just found an abandoned hive and figured, hey, hey, this is kind of sweet. It's good. I like it. And then this water in this water bladder is kind of gross. You throw some honey in there and, you know, make it a little bit sweeter. Once you dilute honey then all of a sudden it becomes a highly desirable place for things to ferment. And so it just probably naturally fermented over time. And then all of a sudden, whoever did that was probably the most popular person in that tribe <laughs> and became a shaman after that. <laughs> or at least some, some level of extreme power exactly. <laughs> and revere. Yep. So, yeah. Is craft beer popular in India? Not yet. Okay. It's just starting to make a creeping into mainstream millennial population, which has a lot more money than their parents had, and just starting to creep into this. Uh, you have to understand India, uh, poverty levels are very high in India. India is just starting to climb up. People are just trying to climb up in the social economic ladders okay. and uh, paying an enormous sums of money for IPAs or these craft beers are not something which an average Indian can do. But as the economy grows uh, and they have such a vast amount of uh, young population, uh, you will start seeing the resurgence of craft beer industries and mead and wine industries. Is it brewed there at all, or is it all imported from There other are some parts? imported, and there are a few very handful breweries which exist in India. But again, these are only popular near main cities like Bangalore, Hyderabad, Mumbai, Delhi, where a lot of uh, also business companies from United States exist in these locations. Okay, so, so people like it's being pulled over slowly. People from, visiting from here from influencing US influencing them. And yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and then you have these young people who are being entrepreneurs when they go back. They have worked in the US, they go back, 
and they said, you know, I'm going to open a craft brewery here. I'm going to open up a midri here. So that's what is happening in India. Okay. And you will start seeing, it's like, it has such a vast population, uh, 1.2 billion people. I'm sure they'll be able to sell some alcohol in that. Yeah, there's a few people who'll probably purchase some. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe one or two. They might be, maybe that'll find a couple customers. <laughs> I know um, there are, there's a bunch of um, Maryland breweries that ship a lot of beer to China and Japan because those areas, they have large um, craft beer followings that are starting to grow there and i'm guessing china's economy is probably a little further ahead than what india's is they're kind of like india is probably the like the next wave it is. of a, you a, are like following it, china like china india's, followed japan and taiwan and korea maybe well i think uh, korea is far surpassed they are the world's thirteenth largest. Yeah, so like the, so. they were like the first wave. Like all the all those countries kind of are like riding a wave. Riding where the they, wave. Like in you China was the next, and then like India is the next one behind there. Behind them. And Brazil, I believe, is also a very quickly growing, but not at at the same level as India yet. Well, yes, I mean just based on the population, I yeah. think if there were craft breweries in India, they would still sell a lot of alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someday we'll hope to be there. <laughs> um, when do you anticipate the production facility opening? Well, that's hopefully. Um, like, have you start? Have you started build out or anything? Or are you still oh, in yeah, like? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, last summer we uh, signed the lease for for the space, and uh, construction started to build out. Um, was it a couple months ago? And bad thing is with COVID, there's there's been a lot of delays in a lot of things across the board. That's what I was just about to ask. Did has has that been one of the biggest factors in slowing down? Just like no, not the, really. Okay, it was, it's more of a we we've been keeping an eye on on that, and we've we've done homework to figure out where we're gonna get our conicals from and the canning line and and all all aspects of that. And we've been in touch with the vendors. It's like, hey, what's the lead time? Um, so that, you know, we could be hounding the architect and the general contractor. It's like, hey, finish this up. Because guess what? There's a shipping container of conicals <laughs> coming in um, to mid to late October. And you don't want to have those things just sitting around. Um, so, yeah, uh, conicals should be here in hopefully towards the end of October um, or cold rooms. Um, we have a walk-in freezer and a, a huge cold room. Um, with the, the electric grid shut down in Texas, don't even get me started on that one, um, a lot of the insulation production just tanked. So there's a backlog there for, and, and it was what, almost like a 20-week delay for deliveries of cold rooms. And there, we were looking at a january delivery but there was a brewery that called up and said hey i can't wait anymore and so we were able to slide into their slot um so that should be in november hopefully we should get use and occupancy in in december late spring early summer 
the cast the cascade of all these different shortages and delays of things are so crazy like how like Mm -hmm. i mean it really makes you step back and look like everything is tied together on a global scale at this point like we are a single blue marble yeah (laughs) that's it as they say nobody is an island anymore we are all interconnected and all our economies depend upon each other tremendously yeah, like I, I never would have thought that Texas not having power for a week would cause places to not be able to, <laughs> to get the... Uh, well, sadly, there are only certain companies which make certain products, yeah. and there are not that many companies in the world which yeah, so make the, consoli- the exact same The consolidation product. of all that kind of stuff where there's just one huge, massive facility in maybe like two or three places, once one of those is taken out, there's... Well, we also have to comply with the laws of making sure the cold room meets all the fire safety standards. Uh, so if when you try to combine things where you have to meet safety requirements, you have to meet your um, production facility refurbishing requirements, it definitely impacts your timeline. So. Honestly, by now we should have been done, but, oh, yeah. but yeah, we, that we, somehow we, did not happen. Yep, we have we have uh, internal conversations about that and inventing uh, <laughs> um, sessions as well. It's 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 group therapy really, um, and it helps you know having some meat to go with that. Yeah, that that helps uh, the the social lubricant. Of exactly. A... <laughs> exactly. Well. We still don't know what it is to operate under normal circumstances. We've only been operational in pandemic. Yeah, that is that that is one reoccurring theme of everyone I've talked about, especially places or even places that opened maybe a year before in in 2019, where they still have no idea how to base things. Like you have that weird first year of opening where, and you can kind of get an idea of how things can go but then immediately there's a pandemic that has no comparison whatsoever and then you have the follow-up year where it's no better than yeah, so 2020 was and then and i have have questions you know of you know what what do we need to prepare for six months from now in terms of you know what should we be focusing on in flavors what volume should we be um fermenting in you know, should we bring on new flavors? Should we not? What I, I would love to tell you what a normal June looks like. Can't do that. Yeah, give it a decade or so. You'll have a good idea, probably. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, what are we now? We are at variant Delta. Who knows what's coming next? No, so. there's, uh, Mew. there's Mew. Yeah, we already have Mew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what kind of canning line did you get? It's a um, alpha canning line, uh, twenty-five cans per minute. It's a very popular in uh, maybe the entire country, but uh, there's a lot of breweries in Maryland that have alphas. Yep, and they they're also the ones that that we're getting the conicals from, mm-hmm. the two thirties and the the six tens. So, and part of the reason why is we also talked to a ton of breweries right around Maryland, yeah. and it was recommended. Yep, that that is definitely one thing that that I have to say with the 
the brewing community in Maryland, when you have a question or if you go to a brewery and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a brewer, um, all of a sudden there's some interesting stuff that shows up on your table. Like here, try this, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I mean that, that's great. And then there, that opens the doors as well. It's like, hey, come on back, see what we're we got going on. Um, the beer community in Maryland, I I really have noticed that they just throw up in the doors. It's like, hey, if you want to know, you know, what our process is, what the the machinery that we use, or anything like that, go for it. I mean, I actually had a a cidery come up to me at, at uh, the Silver Spring Farmer's Market and say, hey, what's your POS that you're using? Because um, we're, we're just thinking about moving on from Square or something like that. And I say, oh, sure, yeah, sure, here's, here's what we do. So that was pretty cool. What is the proper serving temperature for mead? Um, or does chilled. it vary by styles? Um, all the stuff that we have is, is pretty much chilled. Um, so like a white wine sort of a temperature. Um, I don't really want it to be like super, super cold. I don't want the, the bottle to all, all of a sudden show up with different mountains. I have um, no idea what temperature you should drink white wine at. Okay. Um, let's see here. Anywhere between 50 to 55 actually mm-hmm. is a okay. great white, green, white wine temperature. Mm-hmm. I don't if you drink have wine champagne, at all. You are a Riesling, you might want to chill it further down uh, with ice okay. surrounding it. Make it more towards 40, 45. But mead, I think best to get the lovely aromatics bursting near your nose. I think 50, 55 is a good temperature. Okay. Well, and the other thing is that the reason why we have Belgian beer glasses that we're serving our mead in is they feel really good when you hold them in your hand. And if you, if you cradle them, then the heat from your hand will actually heat up the meat as well. And so then you can, I mean, whenever somebody comes in and gets a growler, they always ask, how, how can I store this? How long is it going to last? And I told, told people, was like, hey, you know, take it home, uh, throw it in the fridge. And then, you know, once, once you open it up, you know, three to four days or so, then you should be good there. Yeah, because these, as they've warmed up, um, the flavors just like become even more. I mean, just like beer. Uh, yep, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't want them to be super, super cold because then, I mean, that's the reason why there are certain lockers that are out there that say serve super cold. So yeah. you can't taste anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but no, these, they, they do change with temperature and, you know, modify your, your experience with them. Um, but yeah, and definitely some of the, the winter meats that we make, like the, oh yeah, Yuletide, that's, that's awesome. Served slightly warmer just because all of the aromatics from that just burst. And then, uh, same with like the, the gingerbread that we had and some mm-hmm. of just are, are more decadent. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, in, in the, the Yuletide, the one that Jacob just mentioned, that one, the intent behind that is you're sitting in a nice cushy chair right in front of a roaring fire and it's dumping buckets of snow outside and you have this thing in your hand and a brandy snifter and there you go what are the strongest like what's the upper end of the spectrum for abv on a mead 
Um, so there are some wine yeasts that um, go up into the 18, 19%. Um, we currently don't go there. Um, once we get to the production space, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and submit some formulas for, for upper teens. Um, but those will be used uh, to make some cocktails that we have um, so that, you know, we, you, when you add stuff to it, you're going to be watering it down so it's not totally okay. 18. However, you know, the stuff that I do at home is still 18%. <laughs> and uh, you can't taste the alcohol in the meat. And some people notice that as soon as they, you know, have a, have a couple servings and stand up. Yeah, I mean, all four of these, the ABVs across the board, and it really, like, there's no differenti- differentiation between that. It's literally just the flavors. Yep, like, <laughs> exactly. And that, that's also something that we need to be very cognizant of here um, at the tap room, that, you know, if, if people end up having three or four of them, it's like, hey, all right, you're, you're not exactly a small, you know, a small person. Okay, sure, you can get away with that. But there, there's been some, some uh, very petite women, um, particularly, um, yeah, they had to stick around and drink a whole bunch of water after that for a while, feeding them pretzels. Nisha, which is your favorite? So my favorite, favorite meat, which got me work, to work with Yancy, I say, well, is the cherry mead. You it have mentioned that a few times. Amazing. Huh? <laughs> um, and after that, I really like the blackberry mead, which we have in summer. It is phenomenal. I I cannot even compare any bottle of wine, which I like as much as I love our blackberry mead. And it is really, really amazing. And from our current flavors, I really like the cranberry for fall. And for winter, I think I will say the Yuletide. It just reminds me of the holidays. It's all the spices when you're baking. It just reminds you that, okay, time to calm yourself down and just take your one week break. Have you ever considered putting fruity pebbles in meat and marshmallows? You know what? Actually, oh. we'll let Jacob answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. So there's, there's actually a honey called meadow foam, which is on the West Coast. And that honey just by itself tastes like marshmallows. That's crazy. It's also very, very expensive. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so Probably for that reason. <laughs> even trying to five down like five gallons of it is almost impossible. Is it a, like a specific plant yeah. that they're yeah. what what do they pollinate? What are the bees pollinating? Metaphone. Metaphone oh, flower. Meta- yeah. Never little, little baby white flower. Okay. That just grows wild in um the West Coast. And I, I think it's also sometimes used for um for crops too to re Possibly for ro- it. yeah. For during rotation, mm-hmm. rotating the crops. So I think, that, you know, to go, go to your question about the, the fruity pebbles and all that kind of stuff, that actually I think would be really, really good to garnish the lip of the glass so that when you have, you know, like, um, you know, looking at what we have right now, probably the, the apple pie one, you know, having that contrast when you're... Which is tastes like liquid apple pie. Uh, See, and it, then you have your crust on the glass. What um, what all is in that? So that is again northern spy apple juice. Um, 
and I think what vanilla and cinnamon and that's yeah yeah it's really good actually I mean all four of these are I I feel like I have to say the hopped one's my favorite um but I don't know if I can def- definitively pick which one I like the best. Oh. Or, like the whole time I've been sipping on each one, like trying to feel like, no, I like this one the best. No, I like this one the best. You also have a lot more that you can try. I, I have a <laughs> half hour drive. I cannot. <laughs> we also make a lot of cocktails just using our mead because we do not have a liquor license for our tap room. So people like cocktails. We have realized that. And the first summer, we just started experimenting and our first cocktail we made was actually uh, the mead we made was vanilla oak when we were doing a tasting we all thought we were drinking cream soda and uh, it was a slow Sunday I still remember and one of my employees was there we were just sitting here and goofing around goofing (laughs) around and we threw some root beer into the vanilla oak mead and that was our very first cocktail creation, and we called it the Root Beer Float. It is an amazing adult cocktail to drink. Yeah, I would think, like, with all the different base flavors, you could come up with some really creative and amazing cocktails using them. Well, and the, the meaderita that we have in the summertime tastes just like a margarita. And so if you, if you take that one and put, like, some ghost pepper finishing salt on the rim, then... I mean, that is just such a tasty, tasty salivating. I think Yancey's underselling the mead. (laughs) I think it tastes better than a margarita. You don't have to do any work. You don't even have to squeeze the lemon. All you have to do (laughs) is just salt the rim (laughs) of your cup and it's good to go. (laughs) What's the most popular mead here? A traditional dry. Yeah, definitely season dependent too. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, if you if you think of the the ones that are offered year round, then it'll be a toss up between the dry and the hopped. Um, and for all the seasons, probably the passion fruit um, is the one. Oh, that, that would be good. It is so damn good. Um, it it is it, also one of our most expensive meads, but we usually run out of it before the season ends. Yep. Yep. Is that done with like a puree, yeah. a juice, or? Yeah, we, what we really strive to do is, is be as close to the natural ingredient as possible. And so the puree is one step removed from that. And besides, I don't think passion fruits and trees are going to grow really well around here. Probably so, not. Yeah, same with mangoes. <laughs> we also wanted to say we don't do any added sugar additions to our meat. So all of the purees we buy are aseptic. Uh, unsweetened purees so we are very picky about what we put in our base mead have you ever done a mango lassie mead oh we we (laughs) talked about it talked about it a lot yeah we have we are working on a good recipe for mango Mm -hmm. lassie i've had some mango lassie beers that were amazing were they yeah can you recommend some to us so we can they were they were all like one-off ones yeah we are working on it it took us a while to find the right mango Mm -hmm. for getting the good intense mango flavor as you know alfonso mango is not readily available the alfonso mango purees which are available are sweetened 
So we don't really have like a good supplier here. So we are searching for a good supplier of mangoes. Last year, what we did was we used the puree and then we actually had to peel, well, Yancy sat and peeled 40 additional fresh mangoes. Uh, Sounds fun. It, it was. It, it worked. The, the response <laughs> from the customers was definitely worth it. It was worth it. But it's a lot of labor yeah. to create a good mango mead and then to create a mango lassi mead, which Jacob is trying to do with some additions. Well, I mean, we, we were even talking about doing a pawpaw mead. Mm-hmm. And those things are, talk about a pain in the backside to process those. Um, and then the... The, what you have to do it like within five minutes or they go bad exactly <laughs> they oxidize very yeah. rapidly yeah but then again you know that that banana cream flavor is just awesome so so yeah we i got some off of the cno canal and um brought them here and so jacob and i were were peeling them and and just putting them in in some of the dry meat just to see what what the flavor would be like it i had work i had never even heard of a pawpaw until brewers started putting them in beer and before then i I never even knew something like that existed (laughs) i didn't i didn't tell you this but nisha tossed out the pawpaw that was supposed to be hers are you serious (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know what it was on that play oh jeez. it just looked very mushy and i was like what is this (laughs) <laughs> you know how many miles I rode on a bike to get that? <laughs> I think they are squirrel food in Maryland. <laughs> Where should people go to keep up to date on what's going on with Clear Skies Meadery? Uh, ClearSkiesMeadery.com. Uh, that would be the best place. Uh, we have an events calendar on there that, that we'll be uh, keeping up to date. Um, you can also sign up for Constant Contact um, on there as well, so you can get our newsletter. Um, we're on Facebook, um, Instagram, and I think Twitter as well. Twitter? We may have yep. been on TikTok for a bit, too. But Uh-oh. It seems no, like, so, that seems like so much work. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so, and to get your mead, it's here at the meadery itself or farmer's markets? Yep. And are there any stores or anywhere that have you? Or no, just- we do not have. We are not in distribution yet. Yeah. Once we are able to actually can and bottle our mead, we will be increasing our distribution radius beyond the tap room. Yep. But mm-hmm. currently, if you need a bottle, come stop by and get a bottle from our tap room. And so, yeah, we go to uh, the Rockville Farmer's Market. We go to the Silver Spring Farmer's Market. Um, we also go to the Brookmont Farmer's Market yeah. in Bethesda. Yeah, that's a Wednesday one. It's a Wednesday. Um, the other ones are on Saturdays. Um, and that information will be coming oh, out in the, in the constant contact and then also on the, the events calendar. Um, but, yeah, that, that's the main reason for the production facility, so we can actually put things in kegs so we can get those out to... Any of the breweries that want a gluten-free option, hit us up. We'll, we'll gladly work with you. And on October 30th, people would be able to try your mead at the Maryland Beer, Wine, and Spirits Festival. Absolutely. We'll be, we'll there, be there. Smiling from <laughs> ear to ear. Where is that being held at? The Fairgrounds. I haven't been there in forever. I used to live in Germantown before I moved to Frederick, and I was... A long time ago, 
That was probably the last time I was at the Montgomery County Fairgrounds. Well, they're, they're in the same spot. Yeah, I don't think they would move those. <laughs> no, they're still there. Um, and you can... I don't know where you go to get tickets to that, but... Um, probably just, the Brewers Association yeah, website. Just look, go to MarylandBeer.org. They'll have the information there. Yep. All right. Thank you all so much. Uh, the mead is absolutely delicious. Um, way better than Renaissance Fair. I actually, I mean, it's not even the same product. It's so much better. Hopefully, um, one of these days we'll we'll have kegs at the Renaissance Festival to let people know what it should taste like. Exactly. <laughs> Full so, circle. So historically, is this closer to what historical mead would be, or is the sweeter side? closer to what historical mead would be like um i actually need to dive into to more of the recipes uh from uh the historical uh components of mead um i don't really know if it's more sweeter or not um i do know that it was used in in beers i would think maybe sweeter right because it wouldn't have been allowed to ferment as long is that what dry? Probably. I mean, that's what dries it out, right? Probably. Yeah. You're yeah. right. Probably all the ancient drinks were much sweeter, I think. Yeah, and it was uh, probably like just a couple of weeks of fermentation at yeah. most I mean, likely. Tej, for example, is, is a really short fermentation. And it, it theoretically is supposed to be more on the, the sweeter end of things, too. Okay. And that's mm-hmm. a, a style of meat uh, predominantly from Ethiopia. And they didn't know what they were doing back then. This is much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I th- also... We do like drier meads now because a lot of us are drinking dry white wines or dry reds. And I think wine has also influenced our taste profiles as to how we perceive alcohol should be. And there are very few beers which are sweet. So, uh, Unless you put a bunch of Fruity Pebbles and, exactly. and uh, yes. Marshmallow and... And cream cheese have like and strawberry and pretzels and uh, cream then, yeah, cheese. they are. <laughs> yeah, dessert in a glass. That's cool. It's funny, like I I had one of those before coming here and absolutely loved that. But then at the complete other end of the spectrum, I absolutely love these. So I I think um, I definitely think craft beer lovers can find a huge appreciation for mead, and I would urge anyone to try your mead that come the blue sky i mean clear sky meadery because it is especially the i'm gonna i'm gonna lean into the beer portion and say try the hopped one but they're all absolutely phenomenal so thank you so much for sharing your mead and your story with me today oh you're very welcome thank you yeah thank you so much and uh thank you everyone for listening cheers the uncapped podcast is produced by graham cullen and me chris sands Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.